Welcome to the Consumer Rundown Podcast, your destination for the people, companies, and trends transforming today's consumer markets. We are your hosts. I'm Penny. And I'm Dimitri. On today's episode, we're talking to Kian Farogi, the co-founder of Needle, an AI-powered marketing platform based in Singapore. Needle helps early-stage e-commerce brands optimize their marketing spending by providing personalized recommendations and automating campaign creation. Kian is a serial entrepreneur who previously founded Electric8 and Botica.com. He shares his thoughts on the future of AI within e-commerce and how AI can help early-stage direct-to-consumer brands to identify and retain customers. Kian, thanks for joining us. How's your day going? I think it's the morning for you because you're based in Singapore. Yes, I'm based in Singapore. Well, first, uh, thanks for having me. So for me, it's 9.20 in the morning. So it started, but you'd be surprised to know that I had already a, a couple of calls, given that most of our customers at Needle are in the United States. So I feel like I'm well into my day already at 9.20 a.m. And hoping on top of the calls, you had at least one cup of coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I do drink tea and I've had tea. So rituals are, are being respected. That's awesome. I'm a big tea drinker as well. Well, let's begin. When I was doing my research about you, one thing stood out. You described yourself as a growth practitioner. What does that mean to you? That's a good question because I'm sure if you were to ask this question to five people who describe themselves as growth practitioners, you'd probably get four different answers. But in short, to me, a growth practitioner is someone who likes to find formulas and formulaic ways to attract, convert, and retain customers. And I think that really requires two things at the end of the day. It requires that you touch everything in a product and the user experience, like so value proposition, the channels, the go-to-market motions, pricing, how you convert a customer the first time, how you bring them back the second or third, fourth time. So it requires that you be kind of a little bit of this generalist across everything. And the second thing that it requires is that you need to have a test and learn mind to figure out what works specifically for your brand and your business and run a series of tests until you kind of figure out what works and then you double down in, in that area. Why that works for me is I'm, I'm quite an analytical person who enjoys figuring out patterns of cause and effect. And I have a generalist background that sits across marketing, product, and even the business investor and corporate side of things. So I can connect dots holistically. And funny enough, that's actually what I'm trying to bring into Needle, which we're building this AI marketer for young brands in fashion, home, beauty sectors by helping them figure out formulas to how they grow their business by analyzing their data so that they don't have to and providing them with a series of smart bets that we think are likelier to work. And, and when a bet does work, then we actually help them double down on those tactics that are working. Tell me more about that. What is Needle? What was the genesis for the idea that you started? And what was the market opportunity that you saw? The opportunity that we saw at, at Needle is due to the confluence of a few things coming together. I'd say four key factors, in, in, in my opinion. One is how like customer experience has evolved. Two is how technology has evolved, three, the macroeconomic environment, and four, ourselves and our own backgrounds. So to go into, in, into the first one, like the customer experience factor, if you look at channels where you can go and find customers nowadays, Facebook and Meta and all of its various different brands, TikTok and, and now X, so on and so forth, as well as 
platforms where you transact with customers and the funnels that they go through when you're purchasing product on those funnels, whether it's on Amazon or Shopify or so on and so forth, a lot of things are converging. The experience is converging. The kind of numbers that you look at are converging. The things that matter are also starting to converge. So when we started seeing that convergence, that's when we we're st starting to think, okay, there might be a way to build a product that can benefit millions of brands and help them find customers on the right channels and help them increase the transactions happening on those platforms. So like that was one of the things that we saw happening and kind of made us think, okay, this might be something that's worth doing. The second thing was the technology factors. So over the last few years, APIs have been appearing and data from various different platforms and channels has been very accessible. And that's something that is fundamentally needed in order to build a product like this. And another technology factor is generative AI that, that reared its head last year. So that not only allowed us to make recommendations of things to do, but it also allowed us to help them take action on those recommendations by saying, hey, you know, I recommended that you send this email. Oh, here's a first draft that's like 70% there. I need a little bit more information or you need to do some edits on it before it's ready to go, but I just saved you three hours of work. So that was the second factor. The, the third factor is the macroeconomic factor, where now we're in this world where it's never been harder to grow a business, despite how easy it is paradoxically to, to launch one. And that's because you're on these multiple channels and platforms that creates 10, 12 different data points and tools that you need to look at to make decisions on how to grow your business. But also some of the macroeconomic environment factors, such as the rising interest rates, coupled with a customer that is getting more and more sophisticated and has a lot of choice. I was reading this report from McKinsey that was saying that on average for any product that's out there on the internet, there's 30,000 alternatives available, which is nuts. I mean, you and I don't go and look at 30,000 different products before choosing something on, on the internet, but there are 30,000 other potential products competing for our attention. And that makes customer acquisition costs rise. So that was another factor that we saw. And we felt that AI could potentially come and solve this by allowing brands to do more with less and analyzing the data for them, coming up with these smart bets, but also doing a legway of the work as a marketing assistant in our case. The last thing is intrinsic factors. The idea of needles started appearing a year or two ago, and that's when we decided that there might be something there. And when generative AI appeared and it's like, hey, we can not only give recommendations, but what are recommendations without actually taking action on them and making revenue from them? But now we can take action on them as well. This is amazing. Let's go and build this AI marketer. You bring up a good point. As you mentioned, early stage brands face significant challenges to succeeding within the direct-to-consumer channel. What I observed over the last 12 months, a significant shift away from direct-to-consumer to retail. For example, two, three years ago, most emerging founders within CPG I spoke to were focusing on direct-to-consumer first and retail second. But now brands want to be in retail as quickly as possible because founders see it as a more profitable and scalable channel. Given that dynamic, how can brands succeed in the direct-to-consumer channel? Our whole thesis is that there's a shift towards direct-to-consumer channels because people want to have that direct one-to-one -one relationship with their customers, have the data that will allow them to personalize those relationships. And 
think that in order to succeed in direct-to-consumer channels, you have to start across different channels and ultimately find where your direct channel finds its way into that mix of channels that the customer can be found on and is used to transacting in. You can't necessarily force them out of habits that are already ingrained. And let me give you a good example around that. It's very possible that you might acquire your first customer because it's the early days of your brand and you don't have a marketing budget that's out there to allow you to support a direct-to-consumer channel like acquisition. You could start in big box retail or these various different places, and they're going to give you like some initial brand distribution, some brand equity. They're going to give you cash. And that and those things, both the cash that's generated from it are the brand awareness and retail and shelf space that, that, that you're getting will allow you to build more awareness with your customer because you can put branding elements there and you can give them reasons to come to your website or your direct channel to interact with you and, and take a repeat purchase and a repeat engagement type relationship going on in the future. And as you build and build and build on that, then that's where you can start using more and more of the cash that you've generated to either invest it into marketing for direct channels of yours, uh, running ads, uh, being on affiliate channels, uh, doing uh, your own uh, PR, so on and so forth, going to events and directing everybody back. You can invest that money in that and that builds that direct relationship with the consumer that you can then use to personalize your experiences with them or use that traction that you've built in, in the early days through the ways that we that you mentioned to go and get some financing, to use that as traction or proof points to go and get some financing to then pour some gas on the fire to go and acquire customers from a direct-to-consumer channel. I think that the natural inclination and the natural way where things are evolving, uh, especially when big box re retail or just retail in general is suffering due to underlying real estate costs is building that direct relationship with the, the customer, having the data and owning that relationship with them is naturally where all brand owners want to go and where they want to be. It might not be where they start, but that's where they want to be. What I'm hearing from you is that you remain optimistic about the future of drug-to-consumer as an effective channel for emerging brands. Is that correct? I think it's a channel among multiple channels, and it's a channel that needs to find its purpose within those channels. And that purpose might be different depending on the type of product, consumer product that you're selling. But I do remain quite optimistic because I think also it's something that, that consumers more and more want as well. Because I think now we're like moving into this phase also where buying a product is being part of a community and being part of a tribe. And it's being part of something that also reflects on your identity. And finding what really reflects that will come from brand-owned channels themselves. Like it won't happen if I'm inside a department store and my product is displayed there. It will, it will happen when me as a consumer, I go and I find you on TikTok, I go and find you on IG, uh, or I just decide to subscribe to your newsletter on your website. They want that direct relationship for the products that matter to them rather than somebody in between. They want that authenticity that comes from interacting directly with the brand. You made a great point, and I agree with you. Brands that create affinity with their customers are the ones who are going to succeed going forward. So let's take it back to Needle. How does Needle help brands accomplish this? 
So maybe it will help if I give some context first on Needle and how it works, like how we help specifically direct to consumer brands. And maybe I can even give you some examples uh, along the way. So the way Needle works is that we're basically uh, on a mission to provide you with an AI marketer that analyzes your data from all your different sources so that you don't have to, provides you with insights and smart bets to take based on those insights that will help you towards your goals, which are usually revenue growth orientated, especially with the kind of brands that we work with. We work with, with young brands. And then also provides you that helping hand as a, an AI marketing assistant by setting up campaigns for you, creating ad creatives, creating emails. How we help brands is number one, focusing in places that you're likelier to succeed. Just focus on these two or three different areas. No need to spray and pray across all these other ones because you have limited time, you have limited resource. Let's take bets where they count. The second thing that we do is that we generate a series of smart bets in those areas for you so that you can, you can succeed. And those bets, I'm going to give you a few examples through some of our customers. One of our customers is a pickleball paddle racket brand based in Utah called Club. The founder is mostly doing all of the marketing and everything on the website himself. When he connected all of his tools, like the AI started running some analyses and like figured out, okay, this is a company that needs to acquire new customers. And he's also improved their ROI on marketing. So it recognized that Club is pickleball paddle brand. That's a product that's used outdoors. And the outdoors is areas with pickleball courts. And based on that, it made a recommendation spend on prospecting on IG in areas where there are pickleball courts in the US. And that's the first part. It's giving him a smart bet. But then when he decided to do that smart bet and press a button on our platform, the generate button, it created the campaign for him. He basically uploaded the campaign with all of its parameters into meta ads and included, to the best of our knowledge, all the areas where there's pickleball courts in the US. And he launched that campaign. And after two days, he shut it off. And that's because he went out of stock. And that has become one of his most used evergreen campaigns right now, this location-based targeting. Another example is this fashion brand called Betty. They provide tights for women. So what the AI had figured out is like, they need to repeat orders. It's quite low. And also their average order value is low. So what tactics do I have that are at an intersection of those two things so that I can improve them? And it went and it figured out who the better customers were for Betty and found that the better customers tend to purchase these two products, product A and B, and the lower spending customers spend product and buy only product A. And it double checked that there are people that move from buying A to also buying A and B. And then it made a recommendation based on that of saying, okay, you know what? I recommend that you automate an email to people who have bought product A and show them both product A and B within this time frame, because there has been a percentage of the customers that have been doing this, and it will increase your repeat purchase rate, and it will increase your average order value. From there, she clicked on generate. It generated the first draft of the email, made a few final edits from our tool. She could send it directly to Clavio, which is a popular email marketing tool used by most of our brands. And she just had to make some final edits, send something that, again, would have taken three, four hours takes uh, took her something like 15 to, to, to 20 minutes. And now this is an automated set and forget email, basically, that is generating thousands of dollars per month in revenue for them. And I think I mentioned that I'll give you three examples. So here's the third one. 
actually in your very own backyard. It's a brand called Floof. It's a skincare and pet grooming products for, for dogs. They're based in LA. The founder is a savvy direct-to-consumer operator. So this is another thing that we help with. Our AI recommends seasonal newsletters. So like in the month of November, for example, you will get a list of ideas of calendar-related campaigns. So December, it's all going to be around Christmas and, and the year-end holidays. But more like rather than like this automated flow, like a one-time email newsletter that you send, it gives you these ideas. You pick from those ideas and then it generates for you and you hit send. So it recommended some ideas for Black Week and around Black Friday and Cyber Monday to him and it generated it for him and again, saved him hours of work and he's the only one doing marketing in his company. So it saved him hours of work and allowed him to go and focus on some other things as well. This kind of gives you some examples and shows you how at the end of the day, we're trying to enable brands to do more with less thanks to AI. And these are brands with less manpower, less resources, less marketing and growth experience. And we want to help them punch above their weight and allow a team of like one to two people on the growth or marketing side to do the work of a team of three, four, or five. Based on what you're saying, it sounds like Needle is great for brands lacking the marketing expertise to decide where marketing dollars should be spent to get the most ROI. Why do you think early stage brands need this the most? Good question. We're, we're finding a lot of traction with young brands. And what I define as young brands, they're, they're companies doing 250K to a couple of million of turnover per year. And usually it's teams of total like three to five people, maybe 20 at the higher end of the scale. And 20, when they're 20, it's still just a couple of people on the marketing side. It's usually the founder and, and, and a junior marketer that's by their side. And they might even have an agency that does one very specific thing for them, like their social media posts. And then that's it. And even when they're 20, probably most of the team is on customer service, operations, logistics, supply chain, and product, like the actual product that they're, they're, they're making and, 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 and selling. So that's why we're finding most of the, our, our traction in, in our early customers at, at, at the moment and really solving pain points for them because they don't have the time, the manpower, the resources, and as you pointed out, sometimes the experience to know what questions to ask and then know what to do based on that, but then also really value the, the part where the AI is doing 70%, 80% of the work because they're so resource constrained and it saves them time. But what we've noticed with younger brands, which was quite to our surprise, because initially our tool was very analytics driven, was that in a way, they don't care about science, data, tons of charts. Like they want a smart bet that they can believe in. And then they want to see that it's backed by data. And it sort of backs up a gut feel. Even when it comes to this podcast, I try to use AI as much as possible to do research, to come up with topics for the discussion. So I'm a really big supporter of implementing AI solutions in my day-to-day. -day. Let's switch topics. Let's have a question for you. It's a more theoretical question. Let's say you have 100 points. You have to divide those 100 points between three aspects. First aspect is the product. The second aspect is marketing collateral. And the third is a tactic. How would you divide those 100 points among those three by order of importance? 
It's a very good question. I like that one. I've not been asked this question before. So 100 points at how I distribute it across the board. What you're actually selling in your value proposition of your product is obviously a big part. It's the value you're providing to the customer at, at the end of the day. When I say product, I'm not just talking about the physical thing that you're selling. It's like the whole package of it, including its pricing and uh, its utility, its convenience, so on and so forth. I would say 40 out of 100 points. Then I think that the next thing that I would say is, how do you build brand aspiration and aura and really connect your brand and what you're about with the identity or the tribe? with which this person wants to associate themselves with. Because I think a lot of times people buy product to enable that. And especially in consumer D2C space, the brand that I buy says something about me. So how do you bridge the gap between that and build that aspiration? I will probably put like 30 points on that. And part of that is the collateral that you're using, your tone of voice, your visuals, and how much you personalized for them. And then I would use the remaining 30 points on the tactic itself, the channel, the time of day, the segmentation, that kind of stuff. Then I would assign the remaining 30 to that. Yeah, that's how I would spread the importance of what is going to work with a consumer. While AI has been around for a while, for the general public, it's still a fairly new concept. 12 months ago, most people had no idea what ChatGPT was. But if you look ahead and focusing just on the marketing use cases, what does the next three to five years look like? How will the AI technology evolve for marketers? And what does that mean to brands and to founders? And for brands who don't adopt AI as a solution, what's going to be the impact for them? I'll actually start by answering your question by setting some context, because I think it'll be helpful. One of the first things that you said was that AI has been quite prevalent in our vocabulary in this last year, and you're absolutely right. But the funny thing is that forms of AI have actually been there for a while. And I break up AI three things, predictive AI, prescriptive AI, generative AI. Predictive AI is I have a data set, I'm going through it. And based on that, I am seeing patterns that are and coming up with scenarios of things that are likely to happen based on those, those patterns. That predictive piece of AI has actually been there for a while, like Google and, and Meta have been using this for a very, very long time, especially in their ad products to increase both their ROI and the ROI of their advertisers. But that's the predictive piece. There's the prescriptive piece where based on that data, I'm actually going to make recommendations of what you should do. And that part is one part that there's more and more folks, but it's still not that common. And the predictive and prescriptive pieces together, let's call them the brain. That's the brain part of AI. And then the last part, which is I think the part that's been in the press all this time, the last year is the generative part of AI. Let's call it the hands. I help you draft something. I put together an image, an asset, so on and so forth. Those are things that ChatGPT, for example, is really good at. And then in the marketing world, you have folks like Jasper on the copy side. You have people like Pencil that are emerging on the ad creative generation side. I think it, it's important to lay that all out as I go into like answering your question, which I think is like how we see like AI transforming e-commerce or marketing in the next three to five years or so. I think I, I see it impacting it in three ways. One, brainstorming ideas. 
two, putting together a first draft of things that take a long time to draft, and three, helping you make better decisions faster. Brainstorming ideas. It's prompting the AI or whatever tool that you're using to come up with ideas that then you will go through and have a think about. But coming up with ideas for copy, campaigns, designs, anything else that's audiovisual, that used to like take hours. Like you would have a marketer that would sit down and say, okay, well, I need to think about the marketing calendar. What kind of campaigns am I going to run in February? What's going on in February besides Valentine's Day? This is something that now you can just put a quick prompt in and you get, you get an answer. And like you, you said, like, give me 10 ideas that have these particularities. And then you're going to have 10 ideas. And probably out of 10, six are not going to be relevant to you, but four are going to be super interesting. And then you can dive a little bit deeper in, into those four. So brainstorming ideas is one and fundamentally saves you a lot of time and gives you a starting point. The second one is putting together uh, a first draft of things. I, I mean, going back to, to my, my previous example, like we recommend this email to Betty, the fashion tights brand, that email just recommending it. Okay, that's, that's cool. But actually doing it, the process that it entails, in the case of a lot of these young brands, they go into Canva, they start designing it into Canva. That takes time. They need the content for it. They need the copy. They need the images for all the products. They need the links. They need all those different things. And then from Canva, they have to basically slice and export it, slice and dice it, put it into their email marketing tool, make sure all the, the links are there. This is very laborious and very prone to human error because there's just a lot of things that you need to do and could easily take half a day to put together like an, and send an, an email like that. But in Betty's case, all of a sudden, here's the email. Here are all the products that we recommended, a first step at the copy all the links to all the products with all the tracking links, everything that is there. And now all you need to do is maybe edit some of the visuals, edit some of the copy. All of a sudden that's 15, 20 minutes of work instead of three, four hours. So that's like the second area. I think it's going to really help marketers. And, and the third area is helping you make better decisions faster. And that's really using the brain part of what I talked about earlier, the predictive and prescriptive part. It's crunching data and presenting not only the what of that data, which I think most analytics tools do, they just give you the data, but here it's like giving you the so what. This is what I would do based on what I see on this data and what I know about your context. And here are like four or five ideas. Maybe a few, a couple of them are not relevant to you, but one or two are really, really good ideas and you should take those bets and, and that helps you make a, a decision and make that decision fa faster because you're not doing the data crunching yourself and it knows the questions to ask and it, it's understood and understanding day by day better your context with more data. That's like examples of how AI can be used to change approach workflow in the e-commerce marketing landscape process. And I think brands that will end up using kind of approaches, they're the ones who are going to defy the odds and be able to grow in a world where, as we mentioned earlier, it's never been harder to grow. As a founder who's building a technology solution in a fairly competitive market, how do you stand out? How do you differentiate your product from the other solutions out there in the market? How we differentiate ourselves is going back to the whole predictive, prescriptive, generative piece. There's a lot of solutions out there that are creeping up. Jasper has been around for a while. Pencil and Work Magic and all of these folks who are really just focused on a narrow use case at one point of your marketing workflow. So they're really on the generative piece. So they're doing the hands. 
And there's a lot of people doing that hands. We kind of sit across predictive, prescriptive, and generative. So we're both the, the brain and the hands for businesses. Because at the end of the day, the brain learns from the hands doing things. To have the better ROI and see what works across multiple different channels and learn and bring insights from multiple different channels to help other channels and help come up with other tactics. I think being in this place where we're more focused on the predictive and prescriptive piece, and we are building the generative pieces now, but if I had to actually predict a year or two from now, I would expect the generative side to to be quite a busy side of the AI landscape. We come as this holistic solution that sits on top and sees the whole picture. And we own the insights, we own the data, we own the prompt across multiple channels, not just one. I think that's what differentiates us and allows us to provide ROI to our customers. Brands that use five of our tactics within five months grow 47%. It's a really impressive stat. Well, Kian, thanks for joining us. It's been a great discussion, great learning about Needle and about yourself. I look forward to following all of your progress. Thank you. And uh, if you're ever in our neck of the woods, let us know. And I hope to see you next time when I'm in LA on one of my trips. Looking forward to it. This concludes our episode with Kian Froge from Needle. Thank you all for joining. Please subscribe for more episodes of the Consumer Rundown podcast and visit us at consumerrundown.com. See you next time.